The following is a message recorded during the morning worship service at Valley Bible Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, please visit our website at vbcmt.org. Well, as we look forward to our time in Colossians 1, 15 through 19, I would like us to think for a moment why it is important to study the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. What is it that feeds our soul as believers? How do we keep our eyes fixed on Christ when the world around us is confused with what is true? Not only is the world confused, but it is suppressing the truth. We are bombarded by the thoughts and intentions of the heart of man. Each time we walk out the door, turn on the radio, listen to music, read the news, interact with people on Facebook, read billboards, sift through the marketing and political views of our day. The world is confused with creation. Men and women created in the image of God whom is to rule over the animals and the earth, and ultimately, the world is confused about the God of all creation. Brothers and sisters, people who call themselves Christians may be just as confused. For there are many that say they know the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ, but by their daily words and actions, they deny him. My desire this morning, as we study the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, is that we would remove our eyes from the things of this world and fix our eyes on Christ Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. As believers, we are to be consumed with the glory of God so that it permeates every facet of our daily lives. Jesus Christ has existed as God before the world was created. He is eternal. He always was, he is, and always will be God. In the coming of Christ's earthly ministry, excuse me, the coming of Christ's earthly ministry is recorded in Isaiah. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 8 as we will look at a few verses here in Isaiah. This is a great passage that speaks of the struggle of Israel in the world today. Isaiah records, the Lord spoke to me with a mighty power and instructed me to walk in a way of the house of Israel, not to walk in the way of the house of Israel, and not to fear what they fear, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 8. And in verse 13, Isaiah was to regard the Lord of hosts holy. He should be his fear and dread. Starting with verse 19, Isaiah writes, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spirits who whisper and murmur, should not the people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the, to the testimony, 
if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom and anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the greatness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide your spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor as the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior and battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning and fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it, to uphold it, with justice and righteousness. From then on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 800 years before the Apostle Paul wrote Colossians, Isaiah proclaimed to Israel the coming of the Prince of Peace, who will one day bring salvation to those who live in darkness. Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, will one day reign on this earth, bringing an end to wars and rumors of wars. For he will rule with justice and righteousness, as Isaiah says. He will one day destroy the world with fire, and every boot of the booted warrior and the cloak rolled in blood will be not for fighting, as Isaiah says, but fuel for the fire. For his kingdom is a kingdom of peace. As we turn to the New Testament, to the book of Colossians, as we turn there, Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 17, Jesus fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. For he is the light of the world, bringing light to darkness and exposing the sinfulness of man's hearts. As he began to preach, and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you haven't gotten there already, please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Please follow along with me as we read Colossians chapter 1, 1 through 20. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, 
Since the day we heard of it, your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard, the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow bondservant, who is faithful servant of Christ on your behalf, and he also informed you, informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day you heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created both in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven." Paul writes to the Colossians in his opening, in his letter, he writes to the church as an apostle, a chosen messenger, an eyewitness of the risen Christ. As he was on his way to Damascus to pick up letters from the high priest for the right to bind Christians and bring them to Jerusalem, the Lord met him and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord opened his eyes to the truth. The Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Go to him, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Acts chapter 9. Paul tells the Colossians that he is thankful to God for their faith their love, their hope in Christ Jesus. The word of truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ brought salvation to those who heard and understood, Paul reminds them. He testifies that the word of truth, the gospel, is constantly bearing fruit and increasing since the day they heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Twice Paul reminds them of his constant prayer for them so that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. He prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. So that they would bear fruit in every good work. As they would increase in the knowledge of God. He prays that they would be strengthened with power according to the glorious might of Christ Jesus, their Lord. He tells them two times that he is thankful to the Father who has qualified them to share the inheritance of the saints in light. For God brought them out of darkness into light by the way of Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that their life would give testimony of the work of Christ and that they would continue to know God more by the power that works within them through Christ. His desire is that they would endure, that they would persevere, that they would stay the course, that they would be patient with an attitude of joy. As we come to verse 15 through 19, we will see that the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ is woven through these five verses for the purpose of walking through these verses together, we will see the supremacy of Christ in verses 15 through 17, and the sufficiency of Christ in verse 18, and the culmination of the two in verse 19. As we come to our study this morning, when we think of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, it is good to be reminded of their definitions. The supremacy is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority or power or status. Let me say that again. Supremacy is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. Sufficiency is the condition or quality of being adequate or sufficient, legally satisfactory. The sufficiency, again, is the condition or quality of being adequate or sufficient, legally satisfactory. In verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, the statement is made, he is the image of the invisible God. God who is invisible is made visible through Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. He will show us the visible God. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. I'm thankful for the reading this morning as we were singing. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4 was read. As Scott read to us, Hebrews chapter 1 again says, that Jesus Christ is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of the nature of God. He upholds all things by the word of his power. 
When Jesus Christ had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high, becoming as much better than the angels. He has inherited a more excellent name than they. In 1 John chapter 1, John gives testimony of what he has seen and heard and touched. He was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. Just as an eyewitness gives testimony of what he or she has seen in a court of law, John proclaims his testimony, his personal view of the Lord Jesus Christ. He proclaims he is the word of life. In the Gospel of John, he is also eternal life. God spoke long ago to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the nation of Israel by the prophets in many portions, in many ways, as Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us. And now in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus Christ is the written word of God in flesh. He is the living word of God who has existed from the beginning. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus proclaimed to his disciples in chapter 14, verse 7, If you know me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. In verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is fully God and fully man, the firstborn of all creation. At first glance, what Paul is saying doesn't seem to make sense. How can, God of this, how can the God of this world be the firstborn of all creation? I'm sure that most of us have wrestled with this word firstborn. This word in the Greek is protakos and would be better translated or understood, mostly understood, as first in rank or status. Jesus began his ministry on earth by becoming a man through a virgin birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. He came to sinful man as a perfect man without the imputation of sin or the stain of sin through man. Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man became the perfect sacrifice for our sins as he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It is because he is God in the form of man 
that he has a higher rank or stature than you and I and the angels. And the God and God the Father has given him the name that is above every name. Philippians chapter 2, just a page or two behind you. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians, he prays in chapter 4 that the love of Christ and the power of God who raised Christ from the dead would also be understood in the name that is given to a Christ that is above every name. The supremacy of Christ is seen also in verses 16 and 17 of Colossians 16. If you would turn back with me in your Bibles. Verse 16 says, For in him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We are reminded again in John chapter 1, verse 3, that all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Our Lord Jesus Christ, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, one essence, created all things by the word of his power. He spoke creation into existence. Not only were all things created by him, they were created for him. And he, he upholds all things together. He controls all things. Isaiah proclaims in Isaiah 45, Verse 12, it is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hand, and I ordained their host. In verse 18, as we continue in our passage, we see the sufficiency of Christ, Jesus, came to redeem the body of Christ, the church, God's chosen people, along with you and I, or Israel, and along with you and I, the Gentiles. Jesus Christ came 
to redeem us as believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who gave us the apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body of Christ. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, laid down his life for you and I, the redeemed. Not only did he lay his life down, he also took it up again. John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said, not only do I lay my life down, but I also take it up. Jesus Christ at the hand of man, was taken and beaten and crucified on the cross for our sins, and yet it was he who gave up his life. It was he who rose from the dead, raising his life again. For in his resurrection, he is the firstborn from the dead as he conquered the penalty of sin and death. He is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us as believers. Jesus Christ is the head of all rule and authority. The priests, as we've learned, would offer up sacrifices, as been read this morning, for the sins of man through bulls and goats and other offerings, but only the high priest would make an offering for himself for the sins of Israel. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, without weakness of sinful flesh, offered himself in heaven before the Father on our behalf. Upon Christ, the wrath of God was poured out. Hebrews chapter 7, 23 through 28 records, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, upholds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them above the heavens, who does not need daily like high priest to offer sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Jesus Christ is God in flesh, the perfect sacrifice. Isaiah again proclaims in chapter 53 that Jesus Christ was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took our place, brothers and sisters, to demonstrate his own love for us. 
It was for the glory of the Father that the Son came to give us eternal life. John 17, 1 through 13, 3 records. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, you and I have been bought with a price. Therefore, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. He is the Lord of our life. We have now in Christ the power to put sin to death and to live for him. Because of the gift of God's love through his son, we have been removed from the domain and the control of darkness. We are made new in Christ. This understanding of Christ having first place in our lives must reflect everything we do. The words we say and the life we live are to reflect being saturated with the will of God as Paul prayed for the church in Colossians. We are to be pleasing to him in all that we do and say. In verse 19 of our text this morning, Paul records, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. You see, Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, which we are to live for and serve. He is not something, someone that we just carry with through our daily lives. Rather, we are to live for him and serve him and give him glory and honor and praise. Christ is worthy of our worship. He is worthy to be glorified. Again, we have seen the supremacy of Christ in verses 15 and 16 and 17 and the sufficiency of Christ in verse or excuse me in verses 15 through 17 we have seen the supremacy of Christ and verse 18 we have seen the sufficiency of Christ where only he being fully God and fully man could pay the penalty of our sin on the cross which in turn we understand that he is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who has been raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. Death no longer holds him. And as believers in Christ, we are no longer enslaved by sin. We are now new creatures in Christ. In one sense, we are like Christ because we are now alive in Christ. We are now no longer dead in the trespasses of sin. Sin no longer has power over us, but now we have the power in Christ to put sin to death and to live for him. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is working in us as believers. As we proclaim the gospel, 
We trust that it is the word of God that changes the heart of man. We cannot argue, persuade, or force someone to see the light. But we are called to proclaim the word of life that has the power to raise the dead and to give new life in Christ. This means we are to be a people bold to proclaim the gospel. We are to stand fast in the word of God, rejecting the enslavement of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the prideful way of life. We must reject the worship of self, the teaching and phrases of this world, like follow your heart, do what feels right, be happy, you do you. No, we must reject that. We are to die to self and look to the word of God. This means that we are to love Christ above ourself. We are to seek the fulfillment of him and reject the offers of happiness that comes from this world. Our joy and fulfillment should be in Christ. The success of this world is not the success that God has in his eyes for you and I. Success in God's eyes is living for the glory of God in everything that we say and do. We can see the world, conquer the world, have all the comforts of life, and never be conformed to the image of Christ. The life of the believer is not comfort, but conforming to the image of Christ. We are to love one another above ourselves. We are to seek to build up the body by serving and caring for one another. We are to be patient with one another. We are to be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Does my life, does your life, brothers and sisters, reflect the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ? As the body of Christ, we are to exalt the Lord who is the head of the church by rejecting the worship of angels, the worship of man-made rules, the worship of self. We trust that as we do what God has called us to do, we will grow in our love for him and he will be glorified in us. We must be then faithful to pray to our Lord and Savior. We must be faithful to teach the word of God and nothing else, not the wisdom of man that, or the pleasures of man. God will build his church. We must be faithful to love him, fear him, honor him in all that we do and say. For he is our perfect sacrifice. He is our Lord, the one 
who is to have first place in all our affections. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look to your word for the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Knowing that Christ is supreme, he is, in fact, God. He is ruler of all, and he is our Lord and Savior as believers. We are also thankful that he is sufficient for our salvation and for all of life and godliness. As things around us, Lord, compress us, whether, Lord God, it would be conflict or disease or wars or rumors of wars, or the desires of the flesh. Lord, may we put those things to death. May you lead us and guide us through your word. May we stand firm looking to your word and to nothing else. That we would trust that you have the power to lead us through anything in this life. For you are the creator of all things. You uphold all things, your word says, by the word of your power. You are great and glorious, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be doers of your word as we have learned from your word this morning. We ask that you would be glorified, you would be honored. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. For it is in Christ we are reminded to pray because he is the one who has interceded for us. He gave up his life for us that we may have life and come before you in prayer. And it is for this, Lord God, we praise you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.